Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show. This episode will be our third in the Divisional Preview Editions, and we will be discussing the American League Central today. I hope you enjoyed our previews of the National American League West from last week. There's not a lot of discussion on the group chat, so I'm assuming that maybe you guys agree with our opinions and our opinions were not that unpopular. But perhaps today our AL Central preview will incite a little more disagreement and provide a platform for discussion in GroupMe as we creep towards the 2021 season. Today I'm joined by returning guest, 2017 For the Fame champion Devin Milligan, and for the first time ever, For the Fame veteran Jimmy Jean Gaspro. He'll provide some insight and predictions specifically on the Chicago White Sox and his opinion, having seen Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert in their system when he played for the Winston Dash. So if you're not familiar, Jimmy lives locally and he's able to check their games out when fans are able to be in person. So we're happy to have him on the show today. So thank you for joining us and get ready. The Commission Wrap-Up Show starts now. here commish wrap-up show we have jimmy and devin finally ready to talk to al central and it's a pleasure to have both of you guys on the show nice being here yeah thanks for having me let me just crack a little little beer for this right here and What's the beer choice tonight i have a canned rastafari from hmm. Blue Point. it's a beautiful beer very nice guys i'm sipping on a montauk pilsner right now all right I'm going with a, a Costco special uh, session IPA. It's a 24 pack for 20 bucks. Can't go wrong. What's the brand name? Uh, literally Kirkland Signature. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, with that knowledge, let me segue into uh, what has been a lackluster performance for your, your uh, for the fame baseball career. And I don't want to start on a negative note, but obviously, Jimmy, this is the first time you're on the podcast. Devin and I, I think we've been doing this the fourth time or third. Um, so we just have to kind of get out of the way a little bit of your feelings about how you feel about the upcoming season. And obviously in 2000, you haven't made the playoffs since 2014. You came awfully close to 2020. You had the same record as a playoff team, which is myself. And I think the other playoff team was four and three. So you have the longest drought in for the fame history. So my first question is to you, do you believe in the base of Bauer, Yelich? It's good enough to build a championship roster on? I do, you know, obviously with the history that you just stated, my luck hasn't been on my side. Um, but I do think, you know, having Bauer, uh, getting him in the sixth round, going out to L.A., uh, granted, you know, I wanted him on the Mets, but with that contract um, and just the kind of stigma that's been following him ever since that contract with all the beef on Twitter and all the other issues that have popped up, um, I'm glad he's not at the Mets, but for my fantasy standpoint, I think that he's going to be a great buy. Uh, obviously, Yelich is a stud, and Jimenez is also a stud. And I, you know, thinking back on it, my team from last year they had a couple of good players. Obviously, not enough to put me over the edge into the playoffs, but outfield is kind of a position where you can get a lot of a lot of uh good players late late in the game late in draft um, to provide you those points 
But being that, that being said, I do think my team uh, maybe not have championship uh, caliber, but at least I can. I think I'll be uh, sniffing the playoffs this year. All right. Well, do you think the Trevor Bauer signing increases or decreases value? Devin and I had this conversation, and I'm not sure if you listened to both of the podcasts. Trevor Bauer kind of gets lost in the fold there, and in my opinion, he's pitching in the NL West, which is a lot more potent than the the NL Central, and it could balloon his numbers back up to a career what his career is, which is 3.9. He had a 1.7 last year, which I don't think that's what Bauer is. He's somewhere probably in between. But do you think that? I mean, obviously, he's going to get the run support. He's going to get, he's going to pitch every five days, or he wants to pitch every four days. But do you think it increases his value or decreases it? I think it increases. I mean, I if you're looking at the the two divisions, the NL Central last year I think was stronger than the NL West. So, especially for him pitching on the Reds team, that is not the All Star team that the Dodgers are. So. I do think that his value is increased maybe so by uh, just a little bit, but still, like I said earlier, a great value at the sixth, uh, sixth round pick. Yeah, I mean, regardless, the sixth round is a value pick, and you have to make the decision next year as he moves up the tier. But for a sixth overall pick, you can't go wrong with Trevor Bauer. He definitely would have went pretty high in our draft. So I guess we'll see how you round it off. You have a good start. And – We'll do a little bit of the draft preview after the draft is done, but the reason we're here today is to preview the AL Central. So the way we did this last week, we started with, we go through the division winners, we say how many wins it will take, and then we'll go through um, our thoughts and feelings about each team. So let's start with Devin. Who do you think is going to win the AL Central this year? All right, so I went back and forth on this for a while. So um, later I'm going to be speaking about the Twins or kind of heading the conversation when we get to them. And I don't know, when I looked at their – their uh, roster, I kind of liked them more than I thought I would. Um, and we'll get to the details later. But when I first wrote my standings down, I actually put them at the top. And then I took a closer look at the White Sox, thought about it for a while, went back and forth. And, and I ended up going with the White Sox at the top. But I think those two are going to go back and forth for a while, which is part of the reason I did not give the White Sox a great win total. Um, I put them at 90 wins. I mean, I think I might be lowballing some of these division winners. You might remember I had the Astros winning with 88, uh, the Dodgers winning with mm-hmm. 95. So maybe I'm going on the unders on some of these, but I go White Sox, uh, Twins, Indians, Royals, and Tigers. Interesting. What about you, Jimmy? So I'm with Devin in this boat. You know, I think the the Twins and the White Sox are the class of this division. Um I, I I have the White Sox winning as well. I have them at 89 wins, and then I have the Twins, and then I have the Royals, Indians, Tigers. Very interesting. And we'll get into the details of why you feel this way, but while we're on that same breath, I'm going with the White Sox as well, but I have them with 96 wins, only because I feel like they're very potent, and I think the addition of the elite closer in Liam Hendricks, Lucas Giolito's emerged to a be a true ace. He's not just a what could be the potential. He actually is the ace they were looking for. And with the combination of the reigning MVP, Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, and not to mention Yasmani Grandal, it's too much to overcome for the Twins, and I don't think they did enough to repeat as the AL Central champion. So I think the White Sox will be the AL Central champions, and if they can get further in the playoffs, I'm not sure. I mean, we have to really see how they round out. 
but I think they're going to win the division. And I have the twins after that. And I agree with Jimmy. I have the Royals in third Indians in fourth, and then the tigers in dead last. I don't think the tigers are ready yet. So um, like we did last week, let's talk about the pagoda, what pagoda thinks. And they agree that the twins are going to repeat by a large margin. They have them 61% odds to win the division. And I'm not sure I agree with that. That's 91 wins they believe will get it done. I'm not sure I agree with the Twins winning the division. And they have the White Sox falling all the way to the third. So they have the Twins at 91 wins, Indians at 86 wins, White Sox at 83, Royals at 71, and the Tigers at 67. And I asked the question to Pagoda, what did the Indians do to warrant all those wins? I don't. I mean, as I'll talk about the Indians, I really don't think they did enough. And the White Sox are going to take the next step. I'm not sure what the computer's seeing and what the – I really don't know. But let's get into it. So I think the first division we wanted to talk about was – I think – I mean, the first team, let's talk about the White Sox. So, Jimmy, you wanted to head the conversation. Devin and I will add a little bit of anecdotal notes as we go. But to keep this organized, let's let you start the conversation about – what the White Sox did, and how you think they will perform this season. So uh, I just wanted to, I guess, touch upon some of the moves and transactions that they had uh, since the end of last season, which was really only a couple months ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, they ended up trading for Lance Lynn, which I thought was a nice deal, kind of shore up the rotation. Uh, they signed Adam Eaton, uh you know, Adam Eaton, which is actually interesting enough, was part of that original trade for Giolotto to the Cubs. Um, and now he's back. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, that's kind of like the Archer and the, the Rays thing where we talked about you get both sides of the deal. So, and the same thing with uh, a couple other deals we see go down. So maybe the White Sox can get both ends of that deal and the Nationals are out in the cold with that. Pax, the but, Paxton deal as well in Seattle. Exactly. That's the one we talked about last week as well. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you spoke about Hedricks and um, they signed Luke Roy. I know they lost McCann to the Mets, but, you know, I think they were a great team regardless last year. And they kind of just filled in a couple of the holes just to kind of give them a little bit more short-footedness uh, moving forward. Uh, so just speaking on that, you know, you just look at – you look at them. You look at that team and, you know, I looked at the predicted – open day roster and which is interesting to me is a lot of these players have come out through the White Sox system. So for me personally being in North Carolina and having the Carolina league, you know, the, the Winston Salem dash are a White Sox affiliate. So I've got to see a couple of these players play in person, you know, granted in a smaller uh, setting of, you know, couple thousand fans which i think is pretty cool uh you know you have jimenez and luis robot and it's just these guys you know to see them at the major league level and you know contributing to the team is really cool but going back to what i had just said a second ago about the projected roster you know they have let's say so they have grandal as a catcher and then luke roy as a backup you have Jose Abreu, MVP last year. I mean, he's he's a stud. You got uh, Mangrel coming off of a surgery last year. Uh, he also was a Dash alum. He killed it for them. I do think he comes back, and he's going to be uh, a great piece in that lineup 
Tim Anderson, Wamakata, Jimenez, Luis Robert, Eaton. I mean, that's, this team is stacked. You know, you look at the, the starting pitcher, Giolotto, Keiko, Lynn, Dylan Cease, and Carlos Rodon. I mean, I don't know. I, I really have a hard time finding a hole in their roster uh, to really not make them the division winner and not even make them be putting up any some noise in the in the playoffs, I think. So. Yeah, it's an interesting point you just made about the the homegrown talent. And I'm looking at the roster breakdown on their 40-man. And there's a lot of teams in this division that are very homegrown. So the White Sox have 22 homegrown players on their 40-man roster. Six, six required via free agent, nine via trade. So this team has kind of been together, you know, and I think that there's something to be said about that where the team is growing together. These young players have seen each other in the affiliates, like you said, with the dash all the way up through the system, and they're going to be growing together. So that's a huge part of their success. You know, I got a question. So, I mean, I was looking at their lineup and the lineup's obviously fantastic as far as the offense goes. So Tim Anderson has hit leadoff for a while now and obviously has been extremely successful hitting over 300 um, a large amount of the time. Uh, he's really come on his own. He's, he's become a much better player than I expected. Um, obviously, got a little cockiness to him. But if you look at their roster now, so they had Eaton, who was very much like a leadoff kind of guy. If not, he's going to be at the bottom of the order. I mean, I guess he could hit number two. Um, but then Madrigal. So Madrigal it, it was on my roster last year. And before he got hurt, I mean, this guy clearly, he's going to be one of those guys who gets a couple hits a game. He's not going to hit many home runs, but he just seems like one of those annoying guys who can hit like 330, 340, just because he's going to get on base in different ways. And it, which is great for a lineup that has so much power because he could score a bunch of runs. I expect him to be a very sneaky pick at second base this year in the draft. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. Um, and I would have loved to keep him, honestly, last year. Uh, but I just didn't have the space for him. My, but the question is, does Anderson still hit at the top of the order? Because I could see him being kind of like a two guy. He could hit in the middle of the order, honestly. Um, and now you have a guy like Magical who can just like collect base hits and steal bases. I wonder what Tony Larusa's thought process there. Also, I, I guess Larusa doesn't have to worry about hitting the pitcher eighth because they're at least back in the AL. So that'll be nice. It's pretty insane to think about Tony LaRusso as the manager there at, you know, at the extended age that he is. And I did some research on Tony LaRusso and on Luis Roberts' actual birthday, uh, Tony LaRusso was the manager for the Cardinals and he lost the day game against the Mets. <laughs> Just unbelievable to think about that. And he, here he was like eight years into his manage, managerial career. So well, how do you guys feel about the LaRusso thing? Because like, honestly, when I look at this team, I think the pitching staff could be a little bit of a weakness. I, I do like the Lynn thing because he's going to eat innings. Um, I think if Cease can take a step forward, then they'll be fine. But I'm not sure about the depth of pitching staff. But what, what I'm saying is, other than that, I think the biggest question mark on the team is Larusa. Like, has the game passed him by? Honestly, could he he be a distraction? He, he's kind of a dickhead, honestly. Like, he's got a little bit of a weird past. Obviously, the DUI right after he got hired or something like that. Do you yeah. guys feel like it, that that was a good move? I just thought it was kind of unnecessary with the talent. That I, I don't either. I mean, I don't think it's a good move. He seems lucid in all the interviews he's had and all the things he's done on the spring training, and he seems much more lucid than I thought he'd be. However, 
for a team that's built largely around players that are measured statistically with uh, advanced statistics, he seems like the type of person that would ignore those advanced statistics and move in a kind of a gut feeling. And that's the opposite of what the game is moving towards. It seems like it's the direct opposite move of what baseball is moving towards. And he's a direct contradiction of what the White Sox should be doing with the team that's built. I don't know if they should be moving in a, you know, a backwards direction. They probably should move move forward with someone who's more, a little bit more progressive thinking. So why, why do you think that they end up going with him? Well, I got like a, like a championship pedigree to say, Hey, this is our team and our window is opening and we need to someone kind of steer the ship. I have thought about that. So I read something along the lines of who's their, their owner or GM Reinsdorf. Okay. Yes. So apparently he had Larusa at one point or something like that and either fired him or let him go. And then Larusa went on to have all the success, something like that. That might not be the exact story, but some of the writers were saying he's basically like trying to make up for that mistake. And like, he always like looks back on that. And kind of realizes he fucked up, and like now he thought of like it was his chance to get this guy here with a good team. But if that's if that's the main reason, obviously it's uh, not the best motivation. But yeah, I mean he was last year. His tenure was 1979 to 1986. He goes to the Athletics in '86. I mean, you guys are just born. He hadn't even been on the White Sox yet. And if he's just trying to like rewrite history and make right with someone or feel like he missed out on the success of Tony Russo. Well, guess what? You did. Like, it's 2021. It's long gone. The ship has passed by. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he will prove everybody wrong and say age is just a number and he, you know, baseball is in his blood. Maybe he can make it happen for the White Sox and he could be that steady, that steady hand they need to guide these young players. I just don't see I it. didn't see anything wrong with keeping Rick Renteria there. Like, I, it seemed like he was well-liked. Um and he obviously knows these young players as they come up. Like I, I would have let him have another year with these guys. They took the next step last year, and they, they, if they could take one more this year, I think they'd be fine. In my opinion, if like if I was going to make a managerial move for me, it would be either Hinch or it would be Cora. Those are the only two guys that were out there that would have been a needle mover for me. And I know they have their checkered pass, but there's no denying that Cora and Hinch have both been successful in their roles, despite whether you like them or they're not. And they're progressive thinking, and it's the perfect fit for someone like the White Sox. And I think, again, going going back to the thought, Larusa is a backwards thinking type of baseball manager. And that's not what, that's not how you win baseball games anymore. I think it's it's long gone. That style of thinking. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how it goes. Just because I mean, he's not, he's clearly not the kind of guy you're gonna like fire quickly because he's got too much. No, absolutely too not. Much of it gamble already he's got too much uh, history on his side so they better hope that works out man well currently the white Sox are 15th in payroll their payroll is only 123 million so they're about middle of the pack so for reference the dodgers are 238 um and the highest paid player in the white Sox is yasmani grandal at 18.5 and they're clearly getting discounts with eloy and luis robert so my they're making 3.5 i believe and 4.3 respectively so point being is their windows now they have to pay those guys eventually, but their window is now Eloy's a free agent in 2027. Robert's a free agent in 2028. They have to win a world series probably before that. So the windows from 2021 to 2028, unless they lock those guys up, they have to win. A, they have to win the world series by then because Eloy is going to want a big contract. If he's going to pan out to what he is, Luis Robert's going to want a big contract. Maybe Madrigal is going to want a big contract. Giolito is going to want a big contract. And all of a sudden, 
you're breaking up this core that you have. So this is the window they have. It's sort of in a situation where the Yankees were in 2017, probably in better shape because a lot of the Yankees prospect prospects came up and were surprisingly good. Like no one really expected judge to be the way he was. You're expecting all these blue chip prospects to be as good as they are. And Eloy and Robert, if they are as good as they are, they're going to be Acuna level players, Tatis level players, and they are going to want to get paid. So for the White Sox, you have the chance to win a world series and take over Chicago again and be, I mean, maybe while the Cubs are down and out, you could take over the city, but also you have to do it while you can have your team in place. I agree. I mean, I think out of the, the teams in the division, they're the only team out of the top 15, the farm systems. Um, and don't get me wrong. I think they're like right after that, like 16 or 17. Um, but most of their guys are here already. Speaking of that, Jim, have you ever seen Andrew Vaughn play down in uh, Winston-Salem? Winston-Salem. I have not, because I know Go ahead. I know he I know he has a lot of uh, there's a lot of hype coming up behind him for the DH position. Uh, so we granted we didn't really go to a lot of games last year, uh, but while he was, um, well I'm sorry the year before because I know last year was canceled. Excuse me. Um, he he killed it for us. You know he's he's a big big kid and you know I do think that he's gonna be another guy that just comes up through their system and it makes an immediate impact so it's like like you mentioned that the time is now for them so i'd be really curious to see if they are able to cash in and capitalize on that wave and kind of take it to take it to the next level yeah they have to because these other teams are going to start catching up like the tigers are not going to be down that much longer um, the Royals are interesting. We'll talk about them uh, later as well. But Vaughn's kind of like the last top 100 guy that we haven't really seen much of yet in the majors. Obviously, Michael Kopich, Kopich, whatever, you, whatever, however you say his name. Um, I, I, that's a, that's an interesting piece we haven't mentioned yet because he opted out of last year. Uh, I feel like he, yeah, he said he was done with baseball. He said he didn't want to play baseball anymore. That was a quite, that's something to me. Oof, like uh, there's a lot of red, red flags for me. Like fantasy wise too, I'm not even gonna take a risk on someone like that. He said that when. I think when he's did he, when right was now. that quote from? Or, uh, during that was from the off season of last year, going into 2020. Interesting. But who? It could have been a COVID thing. It could have been he was just frustrated with the way it was formatted and how things were going. So maybe it was just a frustration. But gotcha. to say you, you're done with baseball, that's a weird statement. Hmm. So, um, just to kind of tie the loop on the White Sox, uh, unless you guys have a little bit more on them, Tim Anderson was quoted yesterday. Um, this is an article on Yahoo Sports. It was in the Chicago Sun-Times. His quote was, fuck it, we're the best team in the American League. So it's very interesting that Tim Anderson, like you said, has the swagger, has the cockiness, and I like it. You know what I mean? Like, I want I want guys to go out there and have the confidence and, and make headlines. I, I'm sick of the stuff that's, uh, whatever, politically correct or playing by the unwritten rules of baseball. I like the guys that are outspoken, so I'm a big fan of Tim I Anderson. agree. I think you need at least one guy that wears uh... – you know, they're hard on their sleeve. It doesn't have to be every guy. I think you can get yourself in trouble when you have a bunch of guys like that in the clubhouse. But having one and then a bunch of quiet stars like a Jose Abreu and the, the Eloys, and I've, I don't, haven't heard Luis uh, Roberts say very much. Um, and, you know, Giolito just goes out there and does his job. I, I have, having the Tim Anderson there at the top kind of speaking his mind, I think that's, that, that's, that's a good thing for your baseball team as long as there's not too many, too much or the wrong time. Hundred percent, and the thing is, like, we can't discount the fact that they're only a year removed, a full season removed from going seventy-two and eighty-nine in two thousand nineteen, and they finished in second place in two thousand twenty in the shortened season. They played well, but it was a short sample size. So we talked a lot about discounting the bad, 
for a lot of teams. But we also have to discount the good for players and for teams. So this will be a huge next step for them if they can do what we're saying they're going to do. It's almost a, almost a 20 win, win jump, and that's sort of unheard of. It's usually done in, in progression, but in my opinion, they can do it. So unless you guys got more on the White Sox, I, I think we're going to be talking about them peppered in all of this because they kind of intertwined with all the storylines of the other team. Let's move on to the Twins with uh, with you, Devin. So let's uh, – what do you got on all that? All right, so first of all, like, like I kind of mentioned earlier when we did the standings pro- uh, projection, I ended up liking them more than I, I guess I thought I would have before I really kind of uh, dug a little deeper into them. Um, and honestly, some of, I think I just kind of missed or forgot about some of their signings. Uh, I love the lineup. I really do. I'm looking at one site right now, their projected lineup, which I actually think could be a little different, but they have Kepler, uh, Luis Arias at second, which I, I think that's an interesting part because I could see him more utility and moving Polanco over there. And we'll get to why in just a second. Uh, Donaldson, which that that to me is big, man. If they get the same Josh Donaldson that the Braves got and he can stay relatively healthy, I, I mean, that's a nice piece to then add with Nelson Cruz right behind him, which means he's going to see pitches, Donaldson that is. Uh, then a big X-factor, and I guess it seems like he's an X-factor every year, Miguel Sano. We all know what kind of power he has if he's there, you know, not getting himself in trouble or not getting too fat. Um, he's one of those guys, as long as he's taking things seriously, he could be a beast. Um, Kirilov, which most likely at some point he's going to be one of the starting outfielders, whether it's opening day, who knows. Uh, Buxton, another guy who, when he's healthy – is explosive, fun to watch. He's got to take it a little easier in the outfield there, stop crashing the wall so much. Uh, catcher could be Garver or this other kid, Jeffers, who is another one of their better prospects. And then Andrelton Simmons, which, I mean, I know the jury's out on him a little bit. Some people say his defense is not the same as it once was, and the offense is only average. I like it. I like the signing there. Um, so I like that lineup a lot. And that was my – pretty much the first thing I wrote down about them. Uh, I just don't see like any glaring weak spots, uh, one to nine. And just Donaldson, Cruz, Sano in the middle. I think that's pretty much almost as intimidating as the White Sox, the middle of the lineup they have that we just mentioned. Obviously, they need to stay healthy. Um, if Buxton can play almost every day at the top of the lineup, which I know is a big if, I feel like, honestly, this might be like blasphemy to some of our Mets fans in here. But I feel like if he stays healthy at the top, you kind of have a little 2006 Mets offense feel almost with the Reyes at the top. Don't get me wrong. I think Reyes is the better player in his prime. But I just see that a little bit with some of the like the Kirilov kind of coming into his own, maybe eventually uh, as the new kid, along with all those veterans. I'm glad they brought Cruz back. I think if they let him go, you're kind of letting the heart of the offense go. Um, they spent the 10th highest amount of money in the offseason, which for the Minnesota Twins – not so bad. Um, also brought in J.A. Happ, which who knows, but I could see him thriving, pitching in a place like Minnesota. Uh, Hansel Robles, back end of the bullpen. We'll see. And then uh, Colome. Colome as well. That's a nice bullpen piece. So they added a little to the bullpen. Uh, Matt Schumacher, I think, is an interesting piece, kind of a cheap addition. He's shown signs of being very, very good, and he's gotten hurt every single year. So Another, uh, I guess, X-Fact, if you want to call it. Rotation-wise, uh, Kenta Maeda, Barrios, who, again, we thought this guy was going to be a star. He hasn't really shown it yet. Um, Haneda, Hap, and Schumacher. So the rotation is not something you're going to look at like, oh, wow. 
but I don't think the White Sox really have an oh wow either. I just think their number one is better than the Twins' number one. Um, and honestly, the one thing I do like about the Twins is you always need more than five starters, and they have guys like Randy Dobnik, uh, Devin Smeltzer, Lewis Thorpe that have already seen Major League time, that if they need them, they'll be there. And some nice prospects that they pretty much are hoping can be on the way soon. Uh, eighth best farm system in the majors right now. Takes a hit with Royce Lewis tearing his ACL, obviously. Uh, Kirilov, like I said, should be here soon. Maybe this, right, maybe opening day. Uh, Ryan Jeffers is a catcher uh, just outside the top 100. He might actually make the big league club. And then there's this there's this kid, uh, Jordan Belazovic, I hope I'm saying that right, who has, depending on the source you look at, it's either 2021 ETA or 2022. So depending on how he does um, in the minors, we could see him which they kind of need a stud in that, that rotation to kind of be taken a little more seriously. And they have a couple more guys that are in the top 100, an outfielder named Trevor Larnich and a pitcher, Johan Duran. So the, the system there is pretty good. I like them. A lot of these guys have been together for a while. I really like the Donaldson edition. I was very close to putting them number one in the division. Uh, but I do think they're a wild card team if they don't win it. It's weird because like, it feels like Donaldson's been there, in my opinion. I mean, I guess because it's a similar uniform as Atlanta. It feels like he's been there. Like, I almost I didn't even chalk him up as being an, an addition. You know what I mean? Like, it just felt like he's been in that lineup forever. Yeah, it kind of just makes sense um, for some reason. It does, yeah. And for them, for me, they're, they're returning as a division champ. They really are. They're the reigning champ, but they have none of the respect that goes with it. Everyone's talking about the White Sox. They were the darling of the offseason. Despite, like you said, the the Twins made some stellar moves. They're very Minnesota Twin move-like. I mean, the Donaldson and Colome and I mean, I didn't really like the J.A. Hat move, but it's low risk. It's a one-year deal. They're taking a flyer on it. Yeah, they need a guy so just to really eat, make... eat innings, you know, eat some innings and get us through the season. Yeah, I think there'd been a huge glaring hole if Nelson Cruz decided to retire or they decide not to bring him back. And who knows? Cruz could play another three, four years at this rate because he's the D.H. He's just – Showing up, getting three, four bats a year. I mean, three or four bats a game and hitting 35 to 40 home runs a year with almost 100 RBIs. It's like, you know, it's a no-brainer. Um, by all projections, for me, Andrew Lynn Simmons is the opening day shortstop, like you mentioned. But I don't understand how Jorge Polanco lost the job. Like, I didn't see anything that made it look like he shouldn't have the job. He was in a, he had a lead production in 2019. He had a slow start in 2020. But Anderson Simmons isn't like exactly an offensive upgrade, and he's not that much of a defensive upgrade either. Well, do you agree so, with me that you think Polanco is still going to be in the lineup, maybe at second? Like, I, I, Arias is a nice player, but I feel like he's one of those guys that would almost thrive more on a like twenty. I mean, like a uh, I don't want to say twenty sixth man because he's better than that, but like the first guy off the bench is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I could see that being the case, but I, I see Polanco probably naturally playing short and then Anderson Simmons coming off the bench as a defensive replacement or late in games. That, that's the way I look at it because I think the Twins really like Arias, which is, like you said, he's a light-hitting second baseman, so it doesn't, it's not really what you want at second base, but I, they're pretty stubborn in having him in the lineup. They want him to get at least get a, 550 plate appearances this year, so that's what they want. And they probably like that it rounds out the, the top of the lineup where both Kepler and him are getting on base. I do think the fact that they lost Eddie Rosario will hurt. Um, he was a sneaky player in the outfield that was consistent for them. He couldn't stay healthy every year, but he was someone they're going to miss. And I think we'll talk a little bit about the Indians. He wound up signing with the Indians, but yeah, that must, miss Eddie Rosario. That must, that must have been a calculated move, knowing 
they have Kirilov here and the one other outfielder in the top 100. They, they must have been just making some room there because obviously he did not do anything to deserve to be, you know, kicked out of town. Yes. Do you guys think that Byron Buxton right now, I mean, I would say at this point of his career, he is a bust. There's no doubt about it. He was supposed to be this transcendent player for the Twins. He hasn't panned out to be that. But do you think he's at the point of his career where he is a solidified major leaguer that um, is at least better than a replacement player at this point? Like, do you see him, do you see him being better than whatever the next best outfielder that they could put on that, on that roster. Do you think they're just rostering him because he's a former first round pick? I mean, when he's out there and, and he, he's relatively healthy, I, I do think he's shown signs of being, he's definitely a major league player. Let me say that. Now he was one of those number one uh, overall prospects, right? Like number one in the top 100. He was supposed to be like Harper trout, that type of player. People forget. Yeah. That. So obviously we have not seen that. I mean, We've seen a few number one overall prospects miss. I mean, Ahmed Rosario, I know he's still super young, but he was the number one, and he showed little things here and there. But to me, he never looked like the best – a guy that should have been the best prospect on the list. Like, that's crazy to me. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not going to hate too much on Buxton. I think a lot of it's injury uh, history. Like I said, he plays with a little bit, like, too much reckless abandon. Some of the plays he's made in his career are unreal. Like, if you look at his defensive high- highlight reel, uh, obviously, yeah. offensively, there's a lot left to be desired. But you get him on the base paths, I mean, he can he can cause a headache for the pitchers. So I'll give him another, another year here. Um, but, no, he's not one of those transcending guys. That's for sure. That's obvious. Um, to tie this back to fantasy baseball, so, Jimmy, would you be considering taking someone like Nelson Cruz or you're someone that – views the utility spot as a logjam and you don't want to have a player that's stuck in that spot. Would you draft someone like Nelson Cruz? I, I mean, I, I know you just said about the numbers he puts up, but like as a utility with a specific designation of a utility player in reference to fantasy, I mean, it, it kind of ties your hand. I mean, you're going to have to pretty much roll with them. That's the only spot they're going to have. Um, right. I don't know. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, tough predicament. I'd be curious to see how many actual true utility players, like only utility eligibility, there are. Well, that started with David Ortiz that year that he was the full blown DH, and then obviously you have Shohei uh, Otani who doesn't have a defensive position, and now Nelson Cruz. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but those three guys are ones that come to mind and. Like you, to me, it's all relative. The, the roster spots are the roster spots, but I agree. There's some level of flexibility. I like to leave those two spots open that I can put a guy that's not playing. I can, I like the roster flexibility. So Nelson Cruz ties your hands a little bit, but with 40 home runs, like you kind of want it on your roster. So it's definitely a conversation to have. What about you, Devin? Yeah, the util- it sucks, man. It does because he's always such a tempting guy. Um, I'm not going to say I wouldn't take him. It just has to be the right circumstance and, and the right round. So I think obviously his his uh, it's very tricky to know where to take that guy uh, because if he just had one more designation, you wouldn't think twice about it. And I don't even care about his age. This guy's just like a hitting machine. But the utility, it, it sucks. It sucks having that on your roster, and it does tie you up a little bit. Agreed. Do you guys view Jose Barrios as a top 20 starting pitcher this year? 
I'll start with you, Devin. Ooh, top 20. Oh, man. So I think I traded from last year to try to fortify my rotation. Um, and I made it to the, the playoffs. And, you know, it just kind of ran out of time. Like, it, I, I when I think of last year, I think back and I, I look at my roster. And it might have been my favorite roster I've ever had. Like a mixture of, like, young and vets and just all, a lot of different um, position eligibility for a lot of my guys. And I just felt like in the short season, I didn't have enough time to, like, do the usual uh, adding that I would do in the middle of the season. Uh, but Brios was the one guy I was able to get. I'm pretty sure that was last year. And he certainly did not really do a whole lot for me. Um, so I'll, I'll say outside of the top 20. Until I see it consistently, I can't put him in there. Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers in between. He was around somewhere like Clevenger, who missed a lot of time, and someone like Antonio Sensatella last year. So... I don't know. Jimmy, what about you? I, I, I don't think he's top 20. I'm looking at his numbers as well right now. And besides the shortened season from last year, you know, 2017, he pitched 145 innings. 2018, he pitched 192 innings. In 2019, he pitched 200 innings. So you get in those innings. So some durability there. Uh, and he's been, you know, made the high three ERA. So, I mean, he's he's – I think he's a good pitcher. I, I just don't put him as top 20. Yeah, and the thing is with our pitching, like obviously everyone – and when we get to the draft preview and everyone's teams and all that, d- pitching is thin. And like even doing some mock drafts and seeing the pitchers that are left and you need pitchers to win this league, but I can't justify taking someone, someone – I'm not even going to say the guys because I don't, I don't want to have that conversation right now. Um, I, I can't – justify taking that guy with his name and with a second round pick it just feels weird but that's the best available pitcher and if you guys done some of the research already you know you know the names i'm talking about but it's just it hurts a little bit so it's going to be interesting like i may change my whole draft draft strategy because of that reason but jose barrios is someone who's tempting you know like that's someone who's out there who could potentially be on the level of a shane bieber he has the talent but he hasn't really done it yet. he's the guy that he's a potential steal if things go right. Yahoo, it looks like they have him, I think if I counted right, around 26 uh, in starting pitchers, right between Kyle Hendricks is right above him and Zach Wheeler's right below him. And I, I, I think that's kind of – that that's accurate. That's where he fits. And that's – I mean, being between Zach Wheeler, who at this point is, what, a, a three or four? I think he's a three for the Phillies. That's like – I don't know. That's not enough for me for the Twins. Like, if, if we're going back to the real Major League team, if that's your ace, it's like – you're comparing him to someone like Zach Wheeler. Yeah, no, the way the way Just they're like built is still the same way they've been built for a long time now. A team that's good enough to make the playoffs and go home immediately. <laughs> yeah, really, truly. I mean, the Yankees own them if they ever have to face that in the playoffs. <laughs> One of these years, they're they're going to get they're going to get the best of the Yankees. You have to believe that. It, there's never been a more one-sided rivalry. I mean, in ev- like ever. The Yankees own them every year in the playoffs. And even that the wild card game when they had the lead, the three nothing lead, DD hits the home run and comes back and they and they win. So it's like they, they're snake bid when they when it comes to playing the Yankees. It's a uniform thing for them. But I think we're on the same page with the twins, really. Um I, I don't know if we're gonna be on the same page with the Indians, so I guess let's move on to them. Um so I think the motto of the 2021 Indians is it's mimicking something. You know, when a store is under construction, it says, don't mind our appearance, but we are trying to make it better. 
they completely tore it down, but they're expecting to compete this year. And some of the experts and some of the critics are saying that they will. I don't, I don't see that. Like, I don't see them being second in the division. I don't think that they're better than the White Sox. I have them winning 84 games and missing the playoffs. They still have a lot of talent on the team. They, the spearhead of that, that rotation is Shane Bieber, and he's a top three pitcher in the league. But the fan base has faced serious heartache this, this year and over the years. They saw – this is their offseason summed up. They traded Lindor and Carrasco to the Mets. They let Brad Hand walk. They let Carlos Santana walk to a division rival. And to replace those players, they acquired Andres Jimenez from the Mets. And he's replaced, he's slotted to replace Lindor at shortstop. And he is an offensive downgrade, obviously. Anybody would be. And you're really, you're really not gaining anything on defense because Lindor was an excellent defender. And then they brought in Eddie Rosario on a one-year flyer. And like we talked about before, He's moving into his age 30 season on a one-year deal, and he's trying to get one final payday. So it could be a low, uh, a low risk, high reward situation for them. He's a solid player. He's good for 25 home runs, but you're replacing someone like Lindor and Carlos Santana with Eddie Rosario and and Andres Jimenez. That doesn't get the job done for me. So they're top prospects. They have Nolan Jones, who's ready for 2021, but he's blocked by Jose Ramirez. And Jose Ramirez is someone who. Like he's an interesting case for me because he's almost forgotten. So we watched Lindor go, we watched we watched Hand go, we watched Carlos Santana go, but there's still a franchise player playing third base for them. And go back a few years ago, even last year, he is a top at least ten offensive player in the league when healthy and when right. He had that one little blip in the beginning of the season. What was that two years ago where he was absolutely lost and then found out that he was hurt. He's not that player. We know that he's a consistent player, an all-star, every year going to give you the same numbers every single year. So do you guys see Jose Ramirez being moved at the deadline, or do you see the Cleveland Indians leaving him on their roster to rebuild him? I th- oh, I th- go ahead, Jim. I, I think they're going to move him. So my, I have a bigger um, theory about a lot of their moves this offseason. Obviously, they, they had mentioned about changing or dropping the Indians' uh, name and coming up with a new name. So I feel like this is like you you have mentioned in your uh, opening spiel about them is it's just kind of like a teardown. So I wonder if they're just really just tearing down the team and starting from scratch. So maybe once they announce the, you know, whatever the new team name is, maybe they'll get some more fan base going and some more positive uh I guess support from the media. Um, yeah, so I do. I do think Ramirez is gone. What about you? Dan? He's gone. You don't. I, I just don't think you trade Lindor and Carrasco and then not trade your other really good piece. Um, if, you know, the interesting part is they got back uh, for for the Carrasco Lindor, they got back guys that can play the majors right now. And a couple prospects who are not top 100 guys, but could easily make that move soon and be like major league ready players. Um, I know Isaiah Green was one of them like they're and Josh Wolf. I think they're, they're legitimately good prospects. Um, but I think the final move they need to make is the Jose Ramirez one. But I think he's the kind of guy, I think it was smart of them not to do it right away. You don't have to do everything right away. It's almost like the Cubs with Chris Bryant where, why trade him now? Like, let him go off until July, hopefully. I mean, obviously, that's not guaranteed. And 
then we will move him. Um, where the Lindor thing, he was more valuable right now because say, you know, he was going into the last year's contract. They knew they couldn't resign him. Say you waited and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to get a half a season out of him and then trade him. And he just sucked or he got hurt. Then you're left holding the bag and you can't trade him. And you he just walks, you get nothing for him. Just like LeBron James walking away from the Cavs the first time. You get oh, the John Tavares situation for the right. Islanders. You just, you're just left holding the bag, man. So it was smart for them. Yeah. He's a superstar. You trade him whenever. Um, Ramirez, I think they hope you know he's the best guy available. And a, a playoff team or a fringe playoff team makes a big move and acquires a fantastic player at the deadline. Do you guys have any, any landing spots that you can see him going to? It depends who's in it. I mean, I, I got to see who's in the uh, – It'll be. I think it'll well, be a I national a... league team, just because I you don't really want to trade a guy like that, um, you know, in the in the AL. I have a scenario that makes almost too much sense. So, like going through rosters that need potentially a third baseman, and I think the Atlanta Braves would be the perfect trade partner. Oh for them. fuck that! I, I hate that. I'm just. I'm. Just, <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be the perfect. It would be the perfect match because Atlanta has the prospect, and they have guys that are log jammed that aren't going to be called up. Or can't they don't have the room to do it? So I would say getting someone like Joel De La Cruz, the pitcher from from Atlanta. Austin Riley obviously is the guy playing third base for Atlanta right now, and then Drew Waters. So you'll see the Braves sending the Indians back um, Drew Waters, and he's a top 100 prospect. And maybe you can send someone like Shea Langelier, which is he's another another prospect who's a catcher. So you can actually have two top 100 prospects, and that's a great haul for Cleveland to build around. And maybe one of those guys winds up being a superstar. It really seems like Drew Waters would be the superstar. He seems like he's going to be a great player. But you need to make a move like that because Jose Ramirez is age 28. He's going to be age 20. He's going to be 29 this year, eventually 30. That's not the guy you really want to build around. Lindor was the guy you want to build around. But obviously he wasn't signed long-term and they had no choice. If they had the choice and had him locked up, I'm sure Lindor wouldn't have been moved. But like you said, they're trying to make the best of a situation that is out of their control. They wanted to at least have a return for a player and not let him walk and have something to build around. And maybe there's something to what Jimmy has been saying about they're doing a full rehaul. Maybe we're going to get a new logo. Maybe we're going to get, um, who knows, new colors. Maybe we, may, we don't know. And that could be a lot of like, they're changing the face and it's the perfect time to rebuild, like taking advantage of the fact that not only are there national league and the American League have kind of top-heavy teams. And at this point, maybe some of the teams and the other GMs are looking at each other and saying, this might be the time for us to look at ourselves and rebuild for a better model and let the Dodgers and the Padres and the Yankees all battle it out. And while we just try to find our identity, instead of, like the Twins, going to the first round and losing. While there's some value in that, you know, someone like like the Indians, they want a World Series. Do they want to make it to the first round and lose every year? They don't. So I think they want to build a consistent contender. And well, um, you know, I think there's something to, to that, Jimmy. Thinking landing spots. You, what about the Mets? I mean, I know Chris Bryant rumors have been swirling around. They already have a history with the Lindor trade. I mean, it's possible that you know midseason, you know, the Mets are you know smoking hot and they're they're making their way. Obviously, the Dodgers are the class of the National League. I mean, they dive in and trade for Ramirez. Do they kind of bolster that, that position? 
Well, you know, do the Mets have the prospects to do it though? That's the other I question. Think, like the, the, I think the Mets system is a little better than they're giving credit for. I don't think it's deep, but I think their top guys are pretty damn good. Um, that they have like um, in the top 100. It, it'll be interesting though because a guy like uh, Brett Beatty is like our third base prospect. And the guy's supposed to be a legit like hitter. I'm not sure about his defense, but I don't know. I wonder if they hesitated with the third base stuff this year and just keeping JD Davis around because of that. Um, the Braves scenario makes almost too much sense for me, and I hate it as a Met fan. Um, I almost hope that Austin Riley has like an amazing first half so they don't feel the need uh, because I'd much rather him there than Jose Ramirez. But, I mean, yeah, I, I know what Jim's saying. The Mets, if they want to make a splash and they're in it, I mean, that that's the, the best scenario for the Indians. They have two division rivals bidding for this guy's services. You get into a bidding war and you get a huge package. And the conversation already was there. They they already have the two GMs made a deal already, and they know they can make they can do business together. So it makes sense. But for the Mets, you don't want to be dealing in a in a spot where you are vulnerable or desperate. So it really the move has to be right for the Mets. I think it has to upgrade them to the point where it's going to really put them over the top and make them better than the Dodgers. I guess they have to really feel out where they are because if you're the Mets, it may be a foregone conclusion if you're making a deal at the deadline for someone like Jose Ramirez. It's a foregone conclusion that your biggest competitor in the National League will be the Dodgers or the Padres. Will that deal get you a World Series ring? And if it does, none of the prospects you're giving up um, will be equal to potentially a World Series ring. Obviously, you guys will speak to that. You know, my other thought about Ramirez at first was, could the Mets really do it? They have a ton of guys to re-sign. So I didn't really know Ramirez's contract situation. Um, He's only making $9 million this year. Next year, he's making $11 million with a club option. And 2023, $13 million also with a club option. That's a really team-friendly contract. Yeah, he signed that extension a few years ago, right? So he's a, he's a free agent in 2024. And, I mean, age 31, who knows what kind of, what kind of production you're going to be getting out of him. But for those two, two years, you're going to be getting a lot of team control and elite production. So that's something to really look at if you're trading for him. The one thing about the Indians, the other, I think they're they're a little sneaky. Where I think their rotation is decent. Like some of these guys they have in there, like Savali, um, and obviously Plesac. Like I don't think they're stars by any means, but behind Bieber, they've shown the ability to be very good pitchers. And obviously Tristan McKenzie. Now I think their rotation might be better than the two teams we put above them. Like I do, and I think. Yeah. And if if that's the case, if they're in it and you have a guy like Ramirez who you still have two more years of control, and you don't have to trade him right now, like you could trade him next year, He, we might be wrong. He might, if they're in it, they, he could very much stay on that team all year. Agreed. For me, though, like I'm looking at the, the rotation, yes, it looks all good to me. Zach Plesak is someone that all advanced statistics say that everything he did last year was a complete, like it was a coincidence. Like the batted balls were all hit very hard, but hit to fielders. It just, he's due to get blown up, and that's the pitcher he is. The other thing I'm worried about with Bieber, and it is what it is with like fantasy or whatever, is that it's hard to keep up that level of play. I mean, obviously, Jacob DeGrom does it every year, but can Shane, this is, that was Shane Bieber's first full season that he did something like that, or two years. He did 2019 and half of 2020. That's not that long of a, of a track record. Before that, he really didn't show ace-like tendencies. So he's going to have to prove it again this year because 2020, like we said, small sample size, pitching well, but it's not in a full season. So 
you know, for me, I want to see Bieber do it again. And there may be a little bit of regression because it's hard to keep up with the numbers he put up last year. I mean, the guy was ridiculous. The guy was giving up less than a home run per nine innings last year. That's just insanity, especially in, in a league that the ball flies out of the ballpark. He was, he was insane last year, almost unhittable. So, you know, I, I want to like it, everything has to go right for them. And I don't, I don't see it. I mean, McKenzie is someone who's going to be great. I think McKenzie showed flashes and that's going to be awesome. Devin, you have him pretty much on your team and you can let him go through the ringer of the tiers and let him stay in your, in your system. But uh, it's going to take a lot for them to overcome. And I don't agree with Pagoda. I really don't. I don't see them being the second best team in the division. No, like you said, I think everything has to go right for it. But I mean, it wouldn't be the biggest shocker to see them being competitive mid season. I don't think they finish it. I think they'll run out of gas. Um, but I see them and I can see them squeaking into the mix and being hesitant to trade some of these guys because of it. Completely agree. And I, you know, I think that brings us to sneaky good would be the Kansas city Royals. And as I was doing my research on them, um, I realized that they had a really good off season for them. And they, they kind of put the cherry on top with the Ben and trade, which I guess we'll talk about in a second. And they rounded out a rotation and, I guess similar to what Texas was doing. Um, I think when we talked about it, they're making free agent moves. Maybe they're like they're doing it better than Texas. I'll agree with what, at least with that. I'll give you that. Cause I know you didn't like what Texas did. Kansas city made smart moves um, with an outlook towards the future, not sacrificing a future, but they are go- putting a product on the field. That's going to bring fans to the ballpark when they're allowed back. And that's all you can ask for They're They have every right to be, you know what? Let's, let the young guys play. Let's go out there and field a team that is minimal. They didn't do that. So I really liked what they did this year, and I'm curious if you guys feel the same way. Well, Jimbo, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, they were very active this offseason. I mean, coming off a season where, you know, you finished fourth, you know, a couple games under 500, obviously a shortened season, but, you know, a couple of years removed from, you know, back-to-back World Series appearances and a World Series title, you know, you tear it down and, you know, you're starting again. I mean, I think that's some um, credit to, you know, the GM and the owner and saying, hey, you know, we're not going to – we're not going to just send off and say, hey, we're not doing this this year. We're going to put together a competitive team and we're going to fight. I mean – I think what's interesting enough with, um, you know, the trade with, uh, sorry, not the trade, the signing Mike Miner. I know he's been kind of, for me, a focal point for my fantasy teams. I've always liked him. Um, I think he's going to be a good fit there. Some veteran presence, you know, Carlos Santana. I mean, this this team, you know, made some moves, more moves than you know, compared to like the Rockies. They mean nothing, so yeah, it's I'd be I'd be curious to see how it all pans out for them. Yeah, they could easily rest on their laurels and say we got a ring in 2015. Sorry, guys, and um and say you know what we're gonna rebuild, we're gonna put out the young guys, we'll let Bobby Wood Jr. possibly like be the the ray of hope for them, be called up in two years, and like that's the guy you can look forward to. But no, they went out and. They made a deal for a lot of the like Andrew Benintendi, and they signed 
Carlos Santana in the last semblance of, I guess, what was the World Series roster is Salvatore Perez. And I guess Soler was, I don't even know if Soler was on that roster, but they went out and like revamped it in a way that makes them look pretty attractive, like not to win a division, but to at least be competitive. Yeah. I love the Ben intending thing because like he clearly wasn't really working out. He wasn't the guy in Boston. People were hoping they got Boston was very excited when he first got called up. I think everyone was, people thought he was going to be a perennial all-star. Everyone was saying he's better than judge, man. That was on Twitter. Everyone was saying he's better. He was very, very hyped. This might be the kind of place he needs to go play. And maybe he becomes the guy we all thought he was going to be. Even if he's a level below his hype, that's still a very good player. But right now, I'd say he's three or four levels below that. Uh, but I love the deal. It's the perfect kind of deal for Kansas City. You're taking a flyer and a kid who has not had the success that everyone thought he would, but he's not by any means old. He could still be kind of just developing. It takes some guys longer and to come into their own. So I love that deal. Um, obviously, it's, they still have Witt, who's a really, you know, kind of a Swiss Army knife, can do a little bit of everything. Um, the guy I'll be watching, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on this team. I, I agree with you guys. I like that they went out and got people and did stuff instead of just sitting there and kind of letting things develop and just, you know, being overly patient. Uh, I'll be watching Brady Singer. He showed signs of brilliance at times. And then other times he looked completely mediocre, but he's their big you know, people are forgetting about him as a prospect because he was up, I think, all season last year or almost all season. He is their big prospect that they're relying on to be the real deal, maybe ace of the staff one day. 100%. And I thought the same thing when watching him, similar to someone like Corbin Burns from Milwaukee. He just had that electric feel when you watch him. His stuff is ridiculous. And yeah, and you, and you can't really quantify that in words sometimes when you just watch a guy and go out there. There's some guys that feel like an ace and some guys that just feel like a mediocre pitcher. And it has a lot to do with the stuff, obviously. But there's also a presence on the mound that Brady Singer had for the Royals last year in small spurts. And I remember – I forget who had him. I think it was you, Devin, actually, right? You had him? Uh, yes, I did. I think so I you made have traded him in um, the deal I made for Barrios. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So, anyway, like I, I would watch the pitchers that would be pitching against me, and there was two guys that really caught my eye, and that was Corbin Burns and Brady Singer, and they were guys that were relatively unknown. And I was like, hmm, this guy could definitely be potentially the next Bieber. But, again, in 2020, it's hard to really gauge the success of some players and then the failures of some players. You almost have to wipe it out completely, which makes me shocked that the Red – not I, I guess the word's not shocked. Surprised that the Red Sox moved and intended. I think it has everything to do with the direction the Red Sox are going in, which is rebuilding and getting rid of all the pieces. Because Ben Intendi definitely, every year aside from this, he showed every level of the skills that everyone thought he would have. It's not like he hasn't shown at the major major league level. He was part of that World Series team, that great outfield with Jackie Bradley Jr. and Mookie Betts. He had great moments in the playoffs. It's not like he hasn't done it. But – he looked absolutely lost in 2020, and the Red Sox was just like, I don't know what else to do with him. And I guess it makes sense because they're not looking to win this year or maybe even next year. And by that time, Benintendi will be close to 30, and like we talked about, that's getting up there for baseball players, especially with his skill set, being a defensive um, guy who would speed. I don't know if he's the same player when he gets older. Yeah, I think the Royals are one of those teams that they've proven you know, they're going to let their homegrown talent have a chance, a long chance. That's how they were successful last time. And they will add to it and make a splash when the time is right. Um, they've, they've shown the ability to do that. They know they're not going to be a team that can just spend money year after year after year after year. It's not sustainable for them. Um, I think they have the model right where 
they're going to be patient. And then when they see their chance, they're going to, they're going to jump. hundred percent. And then moving on to the Tigers, which is, I, I think we all agree is the basement dwellers of the division. And that's not to say that they didn't have a kind of a notable off season with the signing of AJ Hinch, who is the manager that has been, I guess maybe the person that let the, the Astros cheating scandal happen. He wasn't responsible for it, but he let it happen under his watch. So he gets another shot in the major league, in major league baseball. And whether you believe he should or not, he is getting the shot, but I still think they're three or four years away, but it'll be fun to watch Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tariq Skubal start to develop and watch guys like um, Miguel Cabrera kind of fade into, into the distance and maybe Spencer Torkelson taking on the mantle of being the player in Detroit. Yeah, man. For for them, it's all about the future. Um, I do like that they brought in a handful of vets kind of to just bridge, try to bridge them to that future instead of just throwing some garbage out there, guys that belong in AAA that are not even prospects. They could have done that. Um, but they, they signed a few guys, Julio Tehran, who just came out actually and said his legs and his arms were like, were not nearly the strength there usually are because he had COVID right before the season, which I think you're going to hear about that for lots of players and see a difference. Um, or even the mental side. I think a lot of people were having family members dealing with that or friends. So I think that'll be an interesting part of this year. Uh, Jose Urania, um, Robbie Grossman, Wilson Ramos, no more Mazzara. So all guys that are like middling players at this point. Um, but I, I like that they, they did that. Um, the storylines other than their prospects, which is obviously the big one, AJ Hinch, you mentioned, we'll see how he does. Uh, it seems like he could be the perfect guy to take a team that is relying on a great farm system uh, and develop them into contenders over a few years. Did it with the Astros, so we'll see if he does it here. And this is his redemption story to see if he can do it here without, you know, a big uh, story behind him that doesn't make it look fair. Uh, the other storyline that I think they have that'll keep people interested a little bit is Miggy chasing 500 homers, 3,000 hits. There are only a few ha- a handful of guys that have done that ever. Um, and he's getting close, so who knows? I know he's not the guy he was, but uh, it's fun to see legendary players like that try to hit a few of those marks. Um, as far as the future, you mentioned a handful of those names. Seventh overall farm system, Casey Mize, we've gotten a glance at. Was not the guy that we expect him to be, but again, it's just a you know cup of coffee, basically. Uh, Matt Manning, Spencer Torkelson is the, the offensive guy we're going to be talking about for a long time. Riley Green is another one, high draft pick, outfield. He's a little while away, but supposed to be one of the better uh, offensive uh, prospects out there. Tariq Skubal, we've also gotten a glance at as well. Um, other than that, man, I I think it'll be a fun team to watch starting next year. I mean, this year I don't expect to catch a lot of Tigers games, if I'm being honest. But uh, overall, I think this division – is much more interesting than I realized and could be very exciting in a few years. The Tigers, Twins, Indians farm systems are 7, 8, 9. The Royals are 15th, and I think moving on up. And the White Sox are 16th, and a lot of their prospects are already here. We could be talking about the AL Central kind of like we talk about the NL East now as like the most competitive, exciting division uh, in the game. Completely agree, and I think it's going to be interesting to think about A.J. Hinch because A.J. Hinch was hired by – the Astros after Bo Porter kind of guided them through the wilderness of rebuilding and how it got ugly. I wonder if AJ Hinch is going to be along for the ride by the time the Tigers are ready to compete. Will he be the guy that's like going to, I guess, reap the benefits of that because he didn't, he was the beneficiary of 
the Astros product after all the rebuilding process was already done. So maybe AJ Hinch will be the guy to have to maybe face the fact and get fired because they're losing 110 games a year, maybe. Um, and then he watches the team that he managed and kind of guided to become a World Series contender. Maybe. Just interesting to see how, like, it's kind of interesting how baseball works. I mean, if they want to follow the White Sox model, they could, you know, fire him right before they're going to be a playoff team and bring in, like, Jim Newland. <laughs> do, do you guys think, like, how do you think the clubhouse reacts to that signing? Like, yeah. Hinch? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, By all accounts, I feel like Hinch is a is a player's manager, and they love him. So I think if they had any reservations about the hiring, I think it's going to be gone by the time he gets a hand, handle on the team in spring training. He's a player's manager, so um, I don't see it being an issue because he has the the plausible deniability. He can say like I didn't know it was happening, and you know he's a, he's obviously went on the the apology tour. And people think that, I mean, at least the league feels that as if the, the skill and the, the brains of baseball outweigh the potential of maybe some backlash by the players or by the fans. Um, I, don't get the, I don't get the vibe that he's a bad guy. I really don't. I mean, he had some of the, the blow up at the Yankee fans, like when the Yankees uh, were, were accusing them of whistling on the bases. And Hinch was like, if we knew that bothered them, that's what we would have done all the time. And he was like very cocky about and if he knew he was cheating that makes it even worse but i do like the fire from him he has like a definitely definitely a different way of managing and he's a player's manager he stands up for his players and i think they're definitely gonna like that i do wonder the first time if he ever tries to pull aside a player and like correct something they did or try to like you know teach a little bit of a lesson or tell someone to hustle and maybe he doesn't, maybe he never does that. Maybe he's like you said, complete players manager and he just lets them go do it. And he just manages the clubhouse. I don't know. But if he ever tries to do that, like depending on the guy's personality that he's talking to, I could see a lot of players being thinking to themselves, like, dude, like who are you to give anybody a lesson? So I, I think Jimmy's question is interesting. Um, especially because they're not going to be dealing with a ton of success right away. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react to him. Do you guys uh, feel like, like you said, 500 home runs for Miguel Cabrera, 3,000 hits? You think he's a no-brainer yep. first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah, for sure. The skills deteriorated a lot quicker than I thought, but he's moving into his year 18 season, which personally makes me feel really, very old because I remember when he was on the Marlins in 2003, just like babyface, young 19-year-old player just out there crushing, crushing baseballs. But he's going to be 38 years old, which is shocking. Like, that's bizarre to me. But it's been fun to watch him. And believe it or not, he's been with the Tigers going on. I think this will be his 14th year with the Tigers because he got traded in 2007 in that crazy deal uh, with the Dontre Willis deal. So he's been with the Tigers for quite some time. And the real question is, is he going into the Hall of Fame as a Tiger or a Marlin? That's a question as well. Yeah, that'll be one of those tough questions when they, they get to that point. I still think of him as a Marlin, but that might just be because I'm an NL East guy. He also won a World Series with the Marlins, and he really didn't – I mean, he won the batting title. I think he won the Triple Crown with the, the Tigers, actually. So there's a justification you can make for both sides, unlike the Albert Pujols stuff where, like, he's clearly a Cardinal. All his success was in St. Louis. Yeah, it, I mean, I know they don't ex exactly have the choice, but some of them are a little more outspoken about it, which I think, you know, I think, like, Piazza was a little more outspoken about saying he thinks he should have a Mets hat, and that's what he ended up with. 
Or like when Wade Box said he wanted to go in as a Tampa, right? Tampa Bay, right? <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Mickey, will, Mickey will probably go in as a Tiger. Uh, I did forget about the Triple Crown and just how long he's been there. So he uh, he probably will go yeah, in Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his stats right now. So he's four-time AL batting champion. Uh, that's including back-to-back-to-back in 2011, 12, and 13. And then he also won in 15. He won a Triple Crown in 2012. He's a two-time AL MVP. 12 and 13, 11-time All-Star. looks like it's pretty much split between um, both Miami and Detroit. I don't know, man. I mean, if he obviously if he gets 500 home runs and 3,000 hits in the Tigers uniform, I mean, I think that's uh, that's a great uh, great question to ask. I, I think he goes in as a Tiger, honestly. And the other question you can really think about is, will he get his number retired? Because the Tigers do have a history of actually honoring their players, unlike the Mets, where they actually retire numbers and they pay homage to the players that have come before them. So the Tigers have a few numbers retired, latest being, I believe, uh, I mean, a lot of old players that are retired. I think the latest one was uh, Willie Horton. So, I mean, the guys of less esteem than someone like Miguel Cabrera. So, you may never see number twenty-four worn again in a Tigers uniform. That's a pretty historic franchise. I mean, just to just to go back to like the first ballot or whatever. Obviously, we answered yes quickly, but the five hundred home run, three thousand hit club. Uh, you got Pujols, who is the newest member. Hank Aaron, A. Rod, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, and Eddie Murray. That's it. That's the list. That's the whole list right there. So, yeah, he's got to be first ballot, no doubt. And he sort of has the stain of being unlikable for maybe not justified, but he always had this like veneer of being an unlikable type of player, I guess, because I think he had a DUI as well. And like he had a lot of um, outspoken moments where he didn't really paint himself in the best light, but neither did Ty Cobb and he wore the same uniform and he's looked at as one of the best players of, of all time. And I think we're going to look back very fondly in Miguel Cabrera's career. Didn't he get in a little skirmish with the Yanks a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah, that was during a playoff series, and I think he also was out drinking the night before <laughs> as well. But I think you're thinking of the the um, the Austin Roman yeah, situation. Yeah, 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 where, that's it. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I like that from players. You know, it, obviously, we don't know what's being said on the field, but I like that from players when they show emotion. Not everyone has to be Derek Jeter, where it's just like he's friends with everyone and just like the ultimate gentleman. You know. But I think that's a good way to, to end this uh, this edition. Um, Devin, I, I think you and I need to come up with a plan for National League Central, unless, Jimmy, you'd like to join yeah, us for that I, as well. This is, uh, this is quite enjoyable. All right, awesome. I mean, the NL Central, we should probably get done soon because we're going to have to – I want to get the AL and NL East out by the – at least have it done before the draft. So we didn't really get a lot of feedback from the people in the league. So – 70 minutes in. I'm not sure how many people are still with us by now. Um, but I did hear feedback from a lot of people that, that did listen, all joking aside. Um, so those, those of you that are listening, if you'd like, I did mention in the chat earlier today, if there's anything you'd like us to tackle and have a conversation about, or you yourself would like to come on and have a conversation with us, Jimmy proved that you can have three people on here. So I think it went pretty well. I think the conversation flowed a little bit better than it probably should have with three people. Um, but again, if you guys would like to pop on here with us, you're more than welcome. We can have four people on here and have a discussion. I want to make this as 
inviting and collaborative as possible because I think that's what makes the league fun. And maybe as the season moves closer, everyone will start chatting a little bit more. But it's been radio silence about our podcast, which is a little in a word trouble. Dude, I think honestly, to, to I think the only solution is we're we're, we're too fact based. I think we need to start like just taking some hot takes. Like, get us one of us needs to be Skip Bayless. Just be like, uh, <laughs> LeBron James is not good, and then we'll get some reaction. Like, if someone, if one of us put the Tigers in first, that would have been a test to see if people are listening. If no one said anything, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I think every everyone probably agree with what we said here. Um, th- but the thing is, like I said, the Angels win the West, and that's pretty controversial. They have not shown anything that says otherwise. That's true. So I thought. I'd, Thought that would at least get a little a little bit of disagreement going, but apparently not. But nevertheless, I think we're going to persist and do this week to week. Um, as we move into the season, a lot of it will be based on obviously our matchups and what happens in the power rankings. It probably will be much shorter than seventy minutes, and we'll preview matchups. And I think we're going to be doing a little bit of interviews with with uh, managers if people are wanting to come on. But I think. I think we'll get a little bit of better reception when uh, there's matchups to talk about and teams that are actually fielded by managers in the league. So, but from my perspective, if one person listens to it and we're enjoying this, it makes it even better. But I think historically I've been doing the, the matchup breakdowns and talking about the trade deadline. Those were very well received. So there is at least that we can, we can rest on that. We know that people will listen when they're in full baseball mode, maybe we're already in baseball mode right now and others are not. Bro, you just need to put it in the constitution. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to listen to the podcast. We're tracking you. Well, maybe I should put start like what I do um, for like during the, like the di- the most digital portion of when I was teaching, I used to put little factoids in the middle of it that they'd have to repeat to me to yeah. show that they listen. <laughs> random placement. Of so, facts. Yeah, random placement. Like this is the password. Like you have to tell me, and it's like it's like whatever minute thirty two. So you have to know it's there. You know, <laughs> don't make me do it, guys. I'll do it. I wrote the goddamn constitution. We just need to. If we have a mix of a you know hot takes, uh, put it in the constitution, and then just every once in a while just cut a promo on one of the other managers, like for well, no I reason. will trust me when the, when the season gets going and like say I lose a tough match to somebody, <laughs> I'm gonna go off on them. So. Like, we have a long season ahead of us, guys. 23 weeks is much longer than seven weeks. Oh, fuck yeah, man. I'm excited for that. And hopefully, hopefully we don't have to move back to the portion where we're, like, moving away from four bench spots to six. And, like, I, I don't want to do that, but obviously it's as fluid as ever. And I'm willing to make it happen and fix it in the moment if we're, like, noticing that full teams are going out with COVID and they're not able to feel the complete team. Obviously, we'll make adjustments. But going forward, I want to keep it as – as true to the 2019 season as possible, because that's where our league was at the best. Yeah, to also end on a good note that tomorrow there's going to be live baseball games. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Mike Bazzotta said it best. This is the last time until November that we're not going to have a live baseball game on TV on a day. So that's amazing. I'm looking forward to that. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you joining me. This was a lot of fun. Um, we'll make a day to do the NL central. I'd like to get it done. I mean, if I'm available, like even tomorrow, if you guys are available, I know it's short notice and you guys got the, the kitties to deal with and to work around. So, uh, but even early next week, we just got it done. The NL central might be a little quicker. That division doesn't have as much juice, I think as this division did, but we say that now. So, all right, guys, thank you so much. All right. Um, thanks for having me. And I'll talk to you. 
I'd like to thank you guys for listening, and thank you to Jimmy and Devin for joining me for the AL Central preview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, we will be back in about a couple days with the National League Central preview, and then we will get to the main event, which we'll be probably posting in the group chat uh, probably the week before the season, which will be the National League East and the American League East previews. We will do those separately. I have a feeling those are going to be pretty in-depth and pretty long because of our vested interest and because of the, the discussion points that um, I think we all find very interesting. So again, thank you for listening and the commission out. For some